So you know how, you know when you have little kids, one of the funniest things that you see them do or that you can do with them is that you hide something behind your back and you say, hey, Charlie, where's the ball? Right? And he looks at you with this, you know, dumbfounded face like, where'd it go? And then you put it, you know, bring it back in front. And there it is. There's the ball. Right? And it's, it's always so amusing. And, but, of course, eventually they'll grow up and they realize that the ball is still there. It didn't disappear. It was just behind your back all this time. Right? They learn that when they're basically three years old. They figure these things out. Um, so why do I bring this up, Ari? Because it dawned on me that our friends on the left <laughs> are just like that child when it comes to just about every issue that they adopt as meaningful. Right? <laughs> he likes this one. It's you mean true. Mature like babies? Yes, well, I agree. It, it, I mean, they're, they're th- they might as well be thinking like babies yes. on this. And, 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 and it's, look, it's it's it. We call this podcast as long as they don't see it, right? And the reason why is because um, you know it's if they don't see. What's going on? And I'll give it a very obvious example, but we have many others to talk about. Uh, abortion. Okay? So they love the idea of abortion. You know, a woman can get uh, an abortion at any time uh, of her pregnancy, right? And, and it, if Hillary Clinton had her away, uh, and she voted this what, the way I'm about to say, that a woman could have an abortion at any time during her pregnancy. There are no limitations. She does not want to have a federal... Because if it's a slippery slope, she said... I remember this very well. It was about 10 years ago. And uh, so, so anyone who supports her, you know, they've not seen an abortion. I'm not saying that I have. I'm simply saying... But I, you don't need to see an abortion to, to know that there's something very wrong with it. And it begs questions like, what is... You know, putting aside... Does the baby feel anything? And if you want to call it a fetus, I don't care. Does the fetus, the baby, does it feel anything in the process? Which is kind of the, you know, the, the kind of go-to issue of the day. But what do you do with the, the remains of the baby once you've killed it, right? What, where to now, right? We now know, but if you were actually there at the abortion table, I think you'd say, at the very least, you would have a different viewpoint. You may still be pro-choice, but you still will have a very different outlook on pro-choice. At the very least, you'll understand the pro-lifers out there. They won't look so crazy to you anymore, right? But the point is that these pro-choice people, most of them have never seen anything. They just have this vision of, of you know, it's as if it's like a, you go to sleep and the baby's gone and, you know, it's as if nothing happened, right? Like Serve Pro, right, that commercial, like, as if nothing happened. Right. You can't tell there was a fire <laughs> flood here. We cleaned it up so well. So well. That's right. you know, and it all goes back in reverse order, right? In time, and right. and 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 no one's panicking anymore, and they're they're back in business as if it never happened. That's the way they view abortion. But again, as long as they don't see it, that's the point. There's an expression that you you may have heard before. Um, nobody nobody wants to see sausage being made, right? They just. They want to eat the delicious sausage and, and uh, have their lunch, thank you very much, right? So, but the expression is if you ever see, uh, saw sausage being made, you would never eat sausage again, right? You've heard this. And people say that about the law, by the way, uh, a lot of times. They're right to some extent. Uh, there is uh, some backdoor dealings all the time, and you figure out, okay, well, this is the law, how it's being made. But there is always a result, and it, can, it is subject to appeal. It's, it's very different. But how a sausage being made is, is such a great example of this. Uh, because they don't want to see it. They don't. And if they did see it, 
they would completely change their, their mindset about things. Uh, another great example is um, this ACLU woman. She was a, she's, a, she's black, I believe, and she's very pro almost everything ACLU. And she was a major head of ACLU. But <laughs> including their position on transgendered bathrooms, meaning that anyone can go into a girl's or a woman's bathroom or locker room, uh, whether as long as he identifies himself as a woman for the, for the moment. Okay? So, so what happens? This woman's daughters go into a bathroom, and a transgendered man comes in. He's a cross-dresser also. Uh, wearing uh, uh, woman's clothing. I guess you can't say cross-dresser. I'm sorry if I just engaged in a microaggression. Ari, I know that's very sensitive that to you. That wasn't micro. That was large. It was large. Okay. It was, a, it was an actual aggression. So they see this man dressed up as a woman going in, and they freak out. Understandably, they freak out, and they run out of the bathroom right to their mom. And these are teenagers, right? Three teenager daughters. And they, they tell the, the mother, and the mother is understandably very upset. There's a man in the friggin' bathroom, <laughs> right? And, and, they, and, and suddenly she's changed her mind. She's against this transgender bathroom. Why? Because she saw it. That's why. All this stuff about you know, transgender bathroom, it's great, and discrimination, and blah, 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 and everyone's, oh, and the, the hurt feels, you know, that all goes, fly, flies out the friggin' window. As soon as you actually see a friggin' man in your bathroom, that, that, that's the way it works. I mean, people see reality, and it does not jibe with their hopes and their dreams and their ideals. Right? <laughs> it just doesn't do it. Dreams and ideals. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, it's the same thing with this, uh, this notion of, you know, it just came in the L.A. Times, this article. I think you showed it to me, Ari, that where... Uh, now they're allowing, they've allowed so many people, homeless in particular, to uh, urinate uh, freely. Oh, that even. was out of Denver. Out, out of Denver? Denver, okay. Yeah, it was defecation. Defecation. No, no, but and, no, Ellie Thompson also today uh, was about urination, and they were talking about the consequences of that. And they're discovering these consequences as if you had to, to tell. The, the, one of the consequences is, is that it smells not, not as nice as it used to. I wonder why. Hey, uh, let me ask you. Does it smell like, I don't know, urine? Yes. Oh, you say. So th this is, uh, th these are consequences to I, them. I, I okay? was actually going to say it smelled like something else. You know what it really smells like? New York. <laughs> That's always been the difference between L.A. and New know, York. No smell. <laughs> What's what we fall under? No crap, Sherlock, right? Yes. I mean, that's that's the way it works. So, I, you know, they have to kind of go through these motions. They have to go through their ideals and, and, and go through the uh, the regulations, or rather the lack of regulations in this case, of, uh, of what they want. And then they see the consequences of it. And then they're so very surprised that there is more homelessness. There's more disease and more vermin. Uh, you know, suddenly infesting their parks. Suddenly they discover no, no families want to go to these parks anymore because, well, they're dangerous and they're full of drug needles and everything else. You would never go to certain parks now in Los Angeles because, well, they're, they're infested with homeless people and, uh, and various other undesirable um, animals and things like that, rodents. But, and, and to say nothing of all the urine and the feces, you know, th this is not why you go to a park. And it's all very nice and well for... Very wealthy people in Bel Air and Beverly Hills to talk about these things. They should be allowed to urinate wherever they, they choose. So in their mind's eye, they, they have this notion that this guy is going to find a, a little cubby away, sorry, a little uh, 
corner away near a tree, and he's going to take a whiz right there, and then, you know, maybe he'll put some dirt on top of it so that he doesn't offend anybody. No, he's just, he's just going to piss right in front of you, right? Or crap right in front of you. I'm sorry for, I know this is supposed to be somewhat of a PG thing, but nevertheless, that's the reality. These, these people think they're doing something wondrous for these homeless people. They're not. They're only inviting more homeless into the situation that they've never thought it through. Yeah, and how is it good for business to have human waste sitting on the, you know, the door of the storefront of the high-end, you know, whatever it is, oh, store on the Santa sure, Monica sure. Promenade? If any of you, you know, listeners live in the Los Angeles area, some night, just for an adventure, consider yourself like the Diane Fossey of, uh, you know, anthropo- anthropological study in West Los Angeles, and go see the late movie at uh, one of the movie theaters of the Santa Monica Promenade. You know, one of the movies that starts like 11 p.m.? Yeah. And come out of that theater around 1 to 2 in the morning and see what the Santa Monica Promenade looks like at that time. There are homeless people on every bench and sleeping in every storefront. Yeah, I know. It's, it's like the it's land of the zombies. So anyway, it's, it's an inviting culture at the end of the day. And people just don't think of the smells. I mean, they, they, they read things on paper. They write things on paper. They, they, talk, they use words like should and ought and ideals and, you know, freedom and things like that. But when they actually, when they actually see the results, the, 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 the manifestations of their words on paper, not so pretty. A lot of smells, a lot of violence. A lot of weird issues that go on. Here, here's an example. I remember when I was a little boy. Uh, I think I was about eight years old. Didn't speak English that well, as you know. I, it, it took me until I was about nine years old to speak English really comfortably. And I remember going down to the sound of some music um, down about, I don't know, half a mile away from my house. It was a nice area, nice, nice place. And there was a big park area. And... What did I see? It was a concert of kind, uh, and they were playing, uh, I believe, a little help from my friends by the Beatles, and it was a bunch of hippies all dancing around. And I'll describe it to you, Ari. They were dancing, and they were like waving their heads, kind of their their eyes half closed, and and uh, there was kind of like smoke in the air, and and everything seemed really cool and copacetic, right? So my describing it to you. Seems kind of nice and peaceful, right? Here's what I can't describe to you and what my description automatically does not include. The smells, okay? The body odor was overwhelming, okay? They say nothing of this thing called pot that I just discovered for the first time. And not that I smoked it, but I was taking a whiff of it. It was just enormous. I said, what is that smell? I'm sure the pot made the body odor smell bad. Oh, it just it accentuated. Covered, it helped cover amplified it Amplified it. Oh, it amplified it? No, no, amplified it. It was just horrific. And, and it was just disgusting. <laughs> and I, I knew instantly I hated these hippies. I never want, I didn't want any part with them. Okay? Right. There lies my, the, the, the uh, the concern I have with with the uh, the, the hippies and how I, I never wanted to be anything like these people, right? I mean, no, nor would you. But but nevertheless, that that's the way it is. When you actually see it, when you see, you know, it's disgusting, right? Yes. Right? Please so, more yeah. of that. <laughs> but 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 again, as long as you don't see it, 
these people have all these great ideas. So where else? There's so many other examples, and I'm going to go through a couple of them. One is um, not just kind of like the present day, but even the thought process. Like the, the notion of evolution, for example, pure evolution, right? So now obviously you can't see that. None of us can see pure evolution. But if you see the results of it, the, the, the results of evolutionistic thinking, um, you, you, would never, you would never believe in it. You would say this is nonsensical, for one thing. But even, even to just go through the process of reasoning of it, okay, so let's, let's pretend to be there. Don't just tell it to me on paper. Let's go through that process where one animal somehow evolves into another animal. And especially, for, for that matter, how humans became humans. All right, so how do we get humor? How do we get the beauty? How do we get the music? How do we get the sense of free will? How do we get the sense of purpose and all those things? Where, where was that glorious moment? Try, try to you know, envision that for me, please, okay? To play it out, all right? Where, does that get, where do I get two arms instead of one all of a sudden? Where was that glorious moment? I mean, it just it's so stupid. They, they, they bring one idea of a black bear versus a white bear, right? And, you know, the environment has now turned to a very cold environment and it's very snowy. So, therefore, white bears survive better because they're more camouflaged in the white, okay? So, and, and then they suddenly apply it to everything else, everything, right? I mean, it's, it, it, what an absurd thing to say. It's like saying, well, gas feeds my car. Uh, and, and makes it go. Therefore, I should drink gas, right? <laughs> That'll make me go too. I mean, it's a stupid argument. <laughs> he likes that one. It's true. I mean, but but that's it's the same argument, right? So <laughs> they're not seeing. And again, you can't see actually evolution at play, but it, nevertheless, that's seeing it. I put that in quotes. All right. Uh, we uh, now. The effects of uh, minimum wage, for example, seeing it on in play, right? We've talked, you know, we talk a lot about minimum wage. I say that that is one of the most sinister notions of liberalism ever invented. And when you described to me, Ari, that it actually was born out of racism, I thought, well, that's the coup de grace. You know, it's, the, I, I mean, I'm not surprised at all. It's bad enough as it is, even if it was well-intentioned and it had no racist origins, it's bad enough. But it turns out, it's like the infomercial. But wait, it's more. Wait, there's more. <laughs> it was racist to, to begin with. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, you know, if, if you actually live it, I mean, I have, I have very wealthy liberal friends and clients who love this minimum wage thing. They think that you, as a conservative, Ari, and I are, are just, you know, trying to keep, uh, you know, people down by not allowing them to have the living wage. And isn't that terrible? And I, I said, okay, well, look. Look at your, the consequences of what this will be. It, it'll, it'll be higher prices because that's what employers do. They're allowed to charge whatever they want for prices. Uh, they're going to be firing people, and they're going to be hiring illegal immigrants. Um, and then and they're going to simply convert the jobs that humans are doing into automated jobs. But other than that, minimum wage is a great idea, as they say. right? So here it is. See it. Okay. Now that you see it, do you feel differently? Yes, you would. Okay, like, like the famous um, George McGovern story, right? Where he, he makes all these regulations. That's why I, I, I love this story so much because it's so emblematic of what we're talking about. He makes all these re regulations as a Democrat. He was the one who ran for, Senate, uh, for president in 1972 against Nixon. Lost terribly, thank God. 
But nevertheless, he retires from the Senate. He decides he's going to run um, basically a bed and breakfast sort of chain. Or a couple, he buys a couple of them in uh, Massachusetts, I believe, maybe New Vermont, Hampshire. Vermont, okay. Yeah. And, and then he discovers all these regulations that he has to live by, the very regulations that he helped create, among others. Certainly the kinds of regulations that he had been promoting himself, never, never thinking once about the impact it might have on business, how it would cripple everybody. And so then he lives it. Then he sees it, you see. But as long as they don't see it, well, they'll just keep on going. Yeah, he sees it. And then, of course, he says, if I knew what these did... In real life, I would have never supported them. Yeah. Which is the amazing line. Yeah. Another one, and it might be on your... Have you seen in the news recently, we live in Southern California here, all these news reports about great white sharks right offshore on our beaches? Yeah, I've heard about that. Okay, them. now, you grew up in the same cloud of era that I did. Do you remember the movie Jaws? For sure. In which a shark comes to town... And they hire a guy to kill it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. Then the movie's about the trials and tribulations of getting that job done. Right. Right. Well, anyway, whatever happened to the good old American attitude of killing pests? Oh, yeah. Right? That's right. Yeah, so, yeah. So, night after night, you know, you hear these and see these headlines. Another beach is closed at the beginning of summer because there's a shark right in the water. And it could be dangerous to swim. And then there was a video that came out yesterday of a shark attacking a kayak. The kayaker jumped in the water. The shark, being a shark, it's stupid, decides to eat the kayak, yeah. not knowing that the meat was the driver right. of the kayak. Not the, But anyway, the person comes out of the water and they're asked, well, how do you feel? Well, I was really scared. Uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> could be dangerous. But no one has the attitude, let's kill these, yeah. you know what, things. Yeah, yeah of course. And, and I mean, there's something, you know, lost in our American, um, let's just say, testosterone levels if we're not willing to kill something just because the EPA tells us uh, it's an endangered species. Well, well no, it, it's making us endangered. It's a, it's a good point. And it kind of dovetails into one of the topics that I did write down, which is kind of somewhat similar. It's the death penalty, right? This notion that somebody does such evil upon uh, a family, murders them in a horrible way, for example, that perhaps uh, they should meet the death penalty, okay? And, and there's an issue. Should the death penalty be applied? Should it, is it unconstitutional? Is it the right thing to do? Is it the moral thing to do? And so on. You and I both believe very strongly in the benefits of the death penalty as, uh, as, a, as a social um, uh, form of justice. It's part of our just judicial system. It should never be taken off the table. Let's put it that way. And then you have these, again, talking about the notion of as long as you don't see it. So these people who, so many of them, just like the transgendered bathroom woman, right? <clears throat> the, they, they are very anti-death penalty. They fight it tooth and nail. And I remember, I'll never forget it. One woman called on to the Dennis Prager show. And she talks about her story. She's 65 years old or so. And she said, Dennis, I was always against the death penalty. I was out there marching against the streets. I was fighting. And then one day they killed my brother brutally. And now I'm proud to say I'm for the death penalty. I'm, I understand it. I think it's very important. And what did Dennis Prager say? He said, shame on you. Shame on you that you had to wait till it happened to you, till you'd understood why it's so important. You have to wait till it comes to your door, but you have no empathy, no ability to understand that other people have lives and feelings too. But only when it happens to you, that's when it counts. 
You see? As long as you don't see it. Yeah, only that's after, the point. Only after she saw it for herself. Yeah. And, that, and that's my point about the shark attacks. Of course. Sooner or later, someone's little boy or little girl is going to get munched. Yeah. And it's going to be on video because everything's on video. Right. It's all about it, loving the environment yeah. and everything else. At, but let's, let's go to that because uh, the EPA and uh, all the, 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 the regulations that the EPA voice upon it, the pipeline, uh, and I'm speaking in one broad sweep here right now with nuclear energy versus um, windmills versus um, uh, solar energy and all that crap that you see. If, if you were to actually see the horrible impact it has on the economy, you'd say, whoa, this is, this is pretty bad. This is really a sickness in our system. We need to unleash the, the uh, economy. First of all, it's good for jobs. And by the way, it will not hurt the environment. P.S., right? Um, so if you actually saw it happening and, and how bad it is and how many birds it's killing, for example, on the windmills alone yeah, and, and, the, and solar the solar energy frying, yeah. frying all the birds and everything else uh, and, and how safe nuclear energy is compared to either of those two things, I, you, you'd say, OK, I, I think I've changed my mind. But you need to see it. But instead, they just see it on paper and they hear these platitudes from the president, meaning Obama, that is. And others like him saying we need to advance into solar and uh, fossil uh, away from fossil fuels into windmills, and uh, things are going to be great. And never mind that it's it's so sorely lacking in effectiveness. And you can show them all day long, and, and and that's the whole point. They need to be shown, but they don't care to see it. They only care to believe what they want to believe. And so and so there we go again, which is so long as they don't see it, they will always be in. In the dark, they always believe foolish things, just like evolution. It really is. Evolution, the notion of pure evolution, is a foolish, foolish thing, and which leads us to the next thing that's equally foolish. It's global warming. Okay, And they call it climate change. And that, that, you, you, if you were actually see all the mechanics that go behind uh, the conclusion that Al Gore made that there is global warming happening upon us, uh, you would say this is absurd, right? You, all the money that's, the, all the agenda that's being driven to, all the regulations that get as, associated with it, uh, you'd say that's a little odd. Then you'd see the history of how it was global cooling before it was global warming. Then you'd also notice that the um, uh, the trending, the warming trend that they claim to to be happening is starting from 1865, which just so happens to be the end of the ice age, the little ice age. Uh, we can go on and on. And then putting, on, putting aside all that, now, now you have to imagine all these people. I mean, this is, I think, the perfect answer to get at least a, glo- a global warming enthusiast to really think things, to think of things differently for a change. Here's what you tell them. You say, Bob, you believe in global warming? Yes, I do. All right. Would you agree with me that all these scientists have to be pure in heart? They have to be totally neutral. So there's no possibility that any of these scientists, any of them, and we don't even know their names, by the way. We're just told that there's a myriad of scientists out there. That not one single one of them has an agenda, right? Not one of them is, is uh, liberal or conservative. They're so neutral on every political issue. They are, they are separated. They're above all this, all this political nonsense. Is that right, Bob? And he'll say, well, I suppose there's got to be some. Okay, yeah. How many of the, the scientists are, have a conservative bent? He has no idea. How many have a liberal bent? I have no idea. Well, I'll tell you, Bob, probably 100% of the 97%. Okay? 
And then, then you say, okay, now let's, let's pretend that they're all neutral. We know that they're not, but let's pretend. Where are they getting these temperatures, okay, that, that help define that there is, to decide that there is a, a, a warming trend going on? Okay, well, it also assumes that all these temperature gauges are 100% accurate, okay, that there, there, there's, no, there's no mistakes in them whatsoever, okay, because it's worldwide, right? It has to be 100% right. Because if two or three of them are off, it really throws off everything, doesn't it, Bob? And what if what if the temperature gauges are uh, are very close, are, are somewhat close to a uh, a building, which they often are? Well, that that might you know adjust the heat, won't it? And that therefore the temperature suggests it's larger, or perhaps they're reading it wrong. Is that possible, Bob? Right? And but yet you want us to completely change our entire way of life. I mean, again, this is forcing them to see the, the operations. I, I want them to see in their mind's eye, at least, if they can't actually go to, to these different places, in their mind's eye, some guy recording something. Because if there's some guy trepsing out in the snow, and he's going to a, a thermostat, and he says, uh-huh, uh-huh, it is now, you know, 24 degrees Celsius. Okay, that's, that's what it says right there. Uh, and and, and it, he's always got it right. Right, Bob? <laughs> it, it's getting silly, Right. And then the assumptions that they made in the programming. That must have all been very neutral, right? And then what are the damages again? Bob, I always forget. Is it one inch of uh, a rise in sea level? One foot? 20 feet? I never get that straight. I never know. How many people have died in the name of climate change or as a result of climate change? Bob? It goes on and on, right? But this is seeing it. This is forcing them to see it. But they don't want to see it. They want to be told by experts. And so, so long as they don't see it, they'll continue to believe their nonsense. Yeah, and the, defi- the definition of expert changes. So yeah. whenever an expert uh, like Richard Lindzen or of MIT comes out and tells them, or that guy Henry Bloom of wherever he was from, Yale or Harvard, comes yeah. out, suddenly the expert is no longer an expert. Right. Bjorn Longbird, no longer an expert. He's now a tool of capitalism. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. that's such a good oh, And point. another great example is what's going on in Venezuela. There was an amazing story. That uh, nobody's listening. ABC, nobody's paying attention NBC, to it anymore. CBS, the major news, LA Times, New York Times, not a peep yeah. about Venezuela. And when they do do a story about Venezuela, it's just about the riots. They never mention the socialism or the starvation or the oppression brought on because of socialism or more accurately right. communism. And, and, and right? the increasing and the increasing dictatorial powers. Yeah, they never mention that and yeah. anything. So as a result, they make sure that they. They sanitize everything about socialism whenever they can. Yeah, that's a, well, it. Well, they, they'll never do that. They'll never. They don't want to see the results of their the, the what's what's the word I'm looking for the extension of their beliefs. They don't want to see it, the logical flow of their beliefs into yes. what it inevitably must result in. Right. So we we have that from Venezuela as well. But I, I want to talk about um, we we talked a couple of uh, weeks ago about um, holy hate. Remember that. That was a good episode. We got a lot of attention on that episode, by the way. Um, and, and this notion of how it can never reform. Remember how we talked about that? Because the Quran itself has these different things. Okay, well, talk about seeing clearly, right? Talk about seeing things, right? They don't want to see anything beyond their Muslim friend who's a moderate Muslim who's so very nice, don't you know? Uh, she's a librarian, and he's just a scientist at uh, the Linear Accelerator or whatever, and he's doing good work. What's wrong with that? You know, um, no issue, no no problem. And uh, you know, they, they're told that Islam is a religion of peace. They're good to go. 
hey, I've got this book for you. It's called the Quran. Why don't you take a read? A little read, just a little bit. Read 20 pages. In fact, any 20 pages you like. And then come back to me. Because right now you, you, you've decided certain things about the Quran, and the Quran is quite different than what you may believe. All right? Again, in this case, as long as you don't read it, right? But, this, but, but, but going back to as long as you don't see it, uh, all you need to do is go to see what you have in the Middle East. You compare Israel to, to what you would see in Syria, Jordan, and otherwise. It, the beauty of it is, or the beauty of, for, the, for the Muslims who, and the Arabs who hate Israel, for, for them, they don't, they, the news is all over Israel for all sorts of political reasons, but Israel lets the cameras roll because it's, it's a democracy, and so they get to show the, the warts of Israel. Every country has warts, of course. They don't show anything when it comes to Jordan or Syria. We know horrific things are happening, but you don't see it. And as long as they don't see it, they'll, believe, they'll continue to believe that somehow Israel is the aggressor and, and uh, the Arab nations are somehow victims of tiny Israel. That's the amazing thing about that. As long as they don't see it. Um, then you have... Uh, what happens when, what, I, I want you to talk actually, uh, Ari, about Black Live, uh, Lives Matter protests. And for that matter, could you also talk about how, what happens when you start treating cops like criminals? Go ahead. Yeah, well, this is a, a perfect example because how many liberals out there are perfectly willing and able to take the side of Black Lives Matter, but they've never been caught in the traffic jam or harassed by a Black Lives Matter protest hitting them directly. They're not the people who went to the uh, Camden Yards baseball stadium in Baltimore one afternoon during the height of the Freddie Gray violence to take in a baseball game with their families, only to be stormed and attacked in a riot and have glasses and yeah. chairs and cars driven at them and thrown at them and because right, in, in your mind's eye, and for that matter, Ford Motor Company, uh, when they gave $100 million to the Black Lives Matter group, what do you think was in their collective mind's eye, right? They, a, a group that just wants to fight for the, the rights of, of, of blacks, and uh, boy, there's a lot of discrimination going on, and we got to do something about this, and here's $100 million, do with it what you will, and uh, it turns out uh, it's it's just a, a riding enterprise. Right. Well, when when a company like, say, Toyota gives money to Jesse Jackson or um, Ford's foundation gives money to Black Lives Matter or something like that, I take it more as a, um, what do they call that in the mafia, protection money, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, leave us alone. You right. know, I, I don't care if you harass the other guys. You know, <laughs> you just don't burn down the Ford dealership in yeah, your so right. location. Uh and you make such a great point as an, as an entry ramp into this. What happens when you treat cops like criminals? Well, you get cops who are even less available when you really need them. Yeah. And when you disarm citizens, you get citizens who are more likely to be victims of crime directly, who are even less able to get a cop to them when they need one. Right. Right. It's ex exactly right. We, you, have, uh, you have to have people that are, are tough. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, there's a great movie, Rambo, um, and Rambo at one point in the movie has to do something to, to you know, kill some, some bad guys who are otherwise going to do terrible things to, to the people that he's kind of uh, escorting to this other, other dangerous place in, in the area. I think it was in... Uh, in Vietnam, I think. Uh, in Thailand. It was actually in Thailand. Thailand. And he, um, 
and he ends up uh, having to be really rough with this this guy and actually kill them. And and one of these guys, they're missionaries. They haven't yet seen the realities on the ground. They say, "I want you to know, Rambo. I'm going to have to report you when we get back. This what you did was a violation of all sorts of human rights, and this is terrible what you've done." And he goes, "You do what you need to do," or something like that, right? <laughs> and Sylvester Stallone speak. And then, sure enough, um, as things get more and more vicious, he begins to understand, and he has to take up the gun. And this missionary has to do the very same thing that Rambo had to do to the best of his abilities. And that's the way it works. You know, you, you suddenly realize that it's, uh, you know, guns are very important. And, you know, God forbid we should ever be attacked in our house by people with guns because... Or people with uh, knives or, or knives, any, yeah, any yeah. weapon. And, and, and anything that's a serious threat. Yes. And, uh, and, and, and then I'll turn to my wife at the time and, and I'll say, are you still against guns now? Right? How, how is, what's your position on guns now? Now that we have three really large bad men who want to rape you and want to want to do horrible things to me uh, and and to our kids. What's your position on guns now, please? And and hold up a pretend microphone to her mouth. I, I got a feeling she'll say, "I wish I had a gun." Yeah, that's right, sweetheart. That's the way it is. It's the classic example of if as long as they don't see it in their mind's eye, it's just great. Not to have guns, the world would be so peaceful if people just didn't have guns. Yeah, and the overarching thing, and I hope I'm not jumping the gun on this point, but it's so interesting that one of the things that makes you a conservative is that you don't have failures of imagination or vision. Yeah. You know the world is a highly messed up place. Yeah. And thus, you take a realistic view of it and you plan around it. And just because the world's a mess of place doesn't mean you can't occasionally go to Disneyland and have a nice relaxing day with your kids. But you at least live a life with your eyes open. Yeah. And as much as you're having a good relaxed time being a child of the world at, a, at whatever concert you go to to hear some world music, you still have eyes in the back of your head watching out for any thugs who might jump you. Yeah, you got to be realistic. Uh, by the way, the only thing I'll, I'll disagree with you, that there is no such thing as a relaxing day at Disneyland, all right? <laughs> you can go to Disneyland, you can do all the rides you want, but it'll never be relaxing. No, do you know what the relaxing day at Disneyland is? Yes. When you go there without your children. Oh, yeah. Good point. <laughs> Which, if your children will find out, will kill you. <laughs> no, but, no. But the, the thing is, I've been thinking a lot lately about what America did to Japan. And to Germany and to Italy, but most importantly to Japan. Because we didn't nuke Germany or Italy. You know, the, the access countries in World War II. And what we had to do to Japan was basically... Not only a complete military defeat, but we had to completely humiliate them, too. And the humiliation combined with the military defeat made them take a deep, introspective look at themselves. And as they say in AA, take a different path in their life. Yeah. Right? And how unwilling are so many Americans today willing to look at the modern enemies of our country? Iran, North Korea, ISIS... Right. Where and, is the, and do what it takes. And do what it takes, which includes absolute humiliation of these people. So that because these are all honor societies, honor honor um, uh, well, structure. I'll, I'll say it a different way, but but uh, saying the same thing, I think, which is that we expect the conclusion to be the the same. Uh, we we should expect that the conclusion of the war against ISIS, for example, or a radical jihad, generally speaking, to be the same as we expected the end of World War II, which is? 
utter and complete unconditional surrender. That's what we should expect. How we get there, that's another question. In, in our case, uh, we, we were able to utterly defeat the Nazis uh, you know, by, by surrounding Berlin at the end of the day and, and completely choking them off. Uh, and when it came to Japan, we had to use uh, two atomic bombs. And that's what ended that. But it, it, we did what it takes, as we said. And if, if the pacifist, in this case, saw what was going on in Japan at the time, and of course you can't go back in time, we weren't there, but we know enough from history books to know what was going on, to fight the evils of Nazism and to fight the evils of fascism in, in Japan and what they were doing, just take a look at what the Japanese were doing to China, what they were doing to Korea, what they were doing to their own people, and how they treated our own prisoners, and what it would have taken for us to, to finally conquer the Japanese mainland, uh, the main island, uh, you would say, drop the bomb. Just drop it. Let, let's go. Because of all the mentality associated with it, how they would continue on, they, they needed a dose of reality. That's the way it, it unfortunately had to be. It was, a, uh, it was a, um, a mindset of their own making, the Japanese mindset, where they, they would rather die than surrender at, at any cost. And they had to be told. Here's, here's what an atomic had book... had to be shown. Had to be sh oh, good point. They had to see it. That's my point. That's, that, and that's the ultimate example of, in a sense of, uh, you know, as long as they don't see it, they will continue to fight you, right? That's in, in the Japanese mindset. And here it is, um, and, and thankfully everything has changed, and Japan is a wonderful, not only a wonderful democracy, but a wonderful ally. Uh, and it's a thriving economy, and they're you know, producing all sorts of great works of arts and, and innovation and otherwise. So, and they have good values now. Very good values, yeah. And, and, but my, Not just good sushi. Yeah, right. <laughs> good the, values. The point that's important to take from that world to today is um, mm -hmm. if, we, if we looked at Imperial mm -hmm. Japan in 1944 mm -hmm. as a society, as an aggregate society with a certain mentality, very few Americans would ever... And I'm talking about ones with eyes wide open on this. Would ever presume to think that that society could ever be reformed? Yeah. So, and I'm not talking about reforming Islam here uh, in the analogy sense. I'm talking about reforming societies, no matter what their religious background is. Right. And uh, Shinto Japan Japanese Shinto Buddhism is not uh, Islam, but the society that practiced that religion was as barbaric as some of the Islamic societies we see today. And no one would have ever presumed those could have been reformed for the better. But it was through some certain, well, let's just say, radical doses of military might. Yeah. Yeah. So why would it be any different today? Why do Americans, and I'm asking rhetorically, not you, because I know the answer, as I believe you do, why do so many Americans ask ourselves, what can we change about ourselves so they won't hate us? Or what can we change about ourselves to, I love the word, cope with this challenges of my world? Rather than saying, you know what? They're the ones who have to be changed, and we're damn well still equipped with the same military hardware to change some hearts and minds. Yeah. The, the, the problem for it is that we, we don't, I mean, the whole mindset has changed, just like you said. Uh, the, the mindset also is that Islam is a religion of peace, 
and the radical Islam as well. That's there's, they, whatever they do, whenever they blow up something in the name of Islam, uh, the liberal press is out there saying this has nothing to do with Islam. Really? Okay. Well, they said they yeah, said exactly the opposite. Five attacks on Ramadan in the last three days alone. Yeah. <laughs> it has nothing to do with Islam. Yeah. You can say all you want. What you could say uh, is that hey, this is such a minor fringe group. They're they're crazy. This is not. This doesn't represent the majority of Islam. Okay, fine. We can have a discussion about that. But that would be, you know, an honest way to approach it. But to say that it has nothing to do with Islam, come on. I mean, now you look silly. Yeah, another non-Muslim. Yeah. And then take just the news out of Afghanistan today where your people are probably hearing this on a Friday or Saturday or Sunday. Uh, we're recording this a couple of days before. You know the magic of podcasting. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, audience. But... Today, there was an explosion in Afghanistan, killing a lot of people. They're still finding bodies. The initial reports were 80 dead, 300 injured. And we're not talking splinters. We mean (laughs) injuries that are making you be in the hospital and you're probably going to die from them. And it's the news is essentially reporting Afghanistan, Islamic country, Ramadan, and for some reason, some non-Muslim blew himself up, yes. thinking he was part of Muslim no, Muslims' uh, holiday. They, they keep on they keep on throwing this mantra at you as if somehow it's uh, it's going to be believed if you, if you keep on saying it. Look, and that's what Hitler said. He, you know, you keep on lying, and then things will keep people will eventually believe it. I, you know, I don't know. I I, I don't. I can't believe that, that a lefty would be so stupid as to believe that over and over again. Uh, some of my closest liberal friends, and they're very far left, even they acknowledge that this, this is really horrible stuff. They, they make the first argument that I made, which is, you know, I don't think it's uh, representative of all Islam and we need to be careful about that. But they, they don't pretend that it's not, as, you know, as a result of Islamic uh, jihadist tendencies. They don't think that for a second. But anyway, they, they keep on doing that. Um, and even those people, you know, that they just, they don't want to see it. If, if they were to see, uh, for example, the, the radical jihadist talk that goes on in so many mosques in this country, in America, to say nothing of Europe, uh, they, 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 they would be terrified if they actually heard what's going on. And I'm sure there's plenty of mosques where no such thing is happening, but the fact that so few um, Muslim imams go out and say this is disgusting what happened in Paris. This is disgusting what happened in San Bernardino. This is disgusting what happened in Fort Hood and such. We reject it. And here's why it's so wrong. And this is why Islam does not teach it. They don't do that. They don't gather their demonstrations out there as you and I if, if God forbid we had another um, what's his name? Baruch um, Goldman or something? Goldberg? Uh, it was many a couple of decades ago, I think like 25 or 30 years ago, he killed some some mosques while they were praying in a uh, sorry Muslims while they were praying in a mosque in um, somewhere outside of Jerusalem, killed 30 people with a machine gun. Uh, right away, everyone came out saying we reject this. This is horrific what they did. They went on protest saying we we condemn this man. He's not Jewish. How can we help make you understand that he's not? We went out on the streets. Where are they out on the streets when it happens time and time again? So that, that is, uh, you know, it's a question. It's a big, big question. And you need to, you always need to ask these questions. We always say the questions are far more important than the answers. But the, the questions help you see. That's the point. Well, what I think it is, is if you're willing to ask the question, that means you're willing to look for the answer. Yeah. 
the willingness to look for an answer will lead you to an answer. Yeah. Uh, and and the answer will be true because you at least ask. If you if you're willing to just say, well, well, Islam is peaceful. I'm not even going to look. Well, you're not going to find anything. Right. It's if, it's it's, it, it's, as, it's as naive as a you know we both have young children, and uh, at some point they start asking you how are babies made or how, where do they come from, right? And so you know at, at a certain point you say, well. You know, I mean, you can go the historic route, right? You can say the historic brings them. Okay, fine. That's, that's perfectly fine. I don't begrudge anybody from using that approach. Uh, we, we, we say, you know, when a mommy and daddy really love each other, and then they get, do a special hug, and after a while there's a baby. Because they see the mommy with the big tummy. They know the baby's coming out of the mommy. So, uh, And they, you want to also make clear that a father is also part and parcel of this uh, process, right? So we don't get to the details of, of all the sexual activity and such. Um, and what, what part fits into the other and sperm and egg. We don't need that, right? But, but a child will beguile himself or herself for as long as he can. He doesn't, because it's disgusting to them, right? For a long time until they reach maturity, at which point they become very interested. But before then, they, they really don't want to know. And it's the same thing. We, we, they, you know, so many of our friends on the left act just the same way. They're like babies. They, they really yeah. do. And, 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 big, and so we are. We're coming full circle, aren't we, when it comes to the baby talk. It's, they act like a baby. They, they don't see it. It, it. it ain't there. Yeah, and how illustrative is it that when we talk about how it was handled with Imperial Japan, you're talking about the people and the generation of the greatest generation, the most mature people on earth, a generation in which 14, 15, 16-year-old boys were storming the beach of Normandy and getting cut into ribbons for their country. Yeah. Sacrificing everything. Yeah. And knowing it was important to a society today where to survive these challenges would be so easy because to win these wars, all you have to do is push a couple buttons and zap. Yeah. The enemy is dead. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, it's it's just just a total... uh, Spitting on the graves of the memories of those who sacrificed before. Well, but, but it's not only that. And so I, my point is, the most immature society today from the most mature society back then. Yeah, that's true. It's true. But but, but let's let's stick to the what we're talking about. Actually, seeing the problem because, but but let's let's use the the D-Day um, uh, soldiers as as an example. You see, they saw a world and what it would look like if it, it was under fascism. Why? Because the government, uh, you know, worked very hand in hand. The schools worked hand in hand and said, listen, these, these Nazis, they ain't good guys. And they want to take away our freedoms. They want us to, they want to not only get, take away our freedoms, but they want to take away Christianity uh, as well as Judaism. They're bad. And, and we're going to show you how bad they are. And they have propaganda films, but they weren't propaganda films. We used Hitler's own reels against him to show this is what they are so proud of. We've got to fight these bastards. And so we saw what, what was at stake. We don't see that anymore. Yeah, instead of showing ISIS videos in schools and saying, see, yeah. this is what they're doing. This is what they want. They send in some nice, benevolent-looking uh, Muslim dude to say, peace. Yes, that's right. We're also understanding this is not the way it is over there. And, you know, just like you have your culture here, we have our culture there. And, uh, we, we, you know, we don't come over to your country and try to change your ways. But you come to our country and you try to change our ways. Do you think that's right? And then, of course, uh, you know, the, the kids are like, I guess, I guess that's not right. And uh, no, 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 no. They, they want 
to change you, yeah. Johnny. That's the way it works over there, and you need to, to show it to them. And, and I, I think you and I, Ari, do a pretty good job as parents of doing exactly this. We, we help the children see it. That's right. Right? And yeah, we, we do not indoctrinate our kids. We do not, if you will, preach them. We tell them right for wrong, and then we say, figure it out, but here's the truth. That's right. Here's what you're capable of understanding at age 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Go look at this. Right. You know, we're not going to put on, uh, you know, uh, pornography to explain the birds and the bees to them because right. that's, uh, that's when they're, you know, 30 and married, if right. you will. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the mommy-daddy special hug is a perfectly good explanation of the truth that they can understand at their level. Yeah. And when when um, they see a homeless person when we're on our way to an amusement park at the San Monica Pier or something and they go, Daddy, I'm scared, I just say, very simple, government program made him. Yeah, that's right. That's a very good point because a, a lefty will look at that. And I, I'm using lefty more often than I am liberal because I want to make a differentiation. But yeah, and it's more accurate yeah. every way. So a lefty will look at a homeless person and explain to the child, uh, well, you know, this person, you know, he just needs a home and he just can't find a job and he's just doing what he can. Right. And if so, housing was more affordable, yeah. he wouldn't be defecating in front of the merry-go-round. That's right. That's right. <laughs> right? This is because of Donald Trump and he doesn't like, you know, poor people and this is a poor person here and that's the reason why. And we've got to do what we can to help him. Yeah, those Republicans who run California have caused that. Yeah. You know, they'll tell their kids. Yeah. No, they'll, they'll, they'll play, yeah, they have no problem saying that, but, but we're the ones indoctrinating the children, <laughs> right. you understand. So, uh, so, but we tell them, you know, point blank, this person, you know, I, I, I'll tell you a cute story. Uh, when, when we were little, uh, my brother and I, my brother was not doing as well in school as my father would have liked um, for, you know, I think it was fourth grade, fifth grade. And so, he, uh, he had my brother, he drove my brother to New York City, Manhattan, which was really god-awful back then. We're talking about the early uh, 70s. Early right? 70s. Yeah. Really awful. Just a, just a pit, a pit of scum. And so, you know, he, go, he goes over to these people, uh, and, and he sees, and he says, he points my, my, son, my brother to uh, these men. They're huddling around a burnt-out, uh, rusty uh, a trash can, and there's fire coming out of them. Yeah, They're warming their hands, hands, yeah, heating the hands with, yeah. with their torn up mittens and such. Like you, you get the whole image, right? Yeah, very bearded and everything else, and they're kind of squinting and look tired, and they're all kind of fighting for space. And 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 my dad turns to my brother and says, uh, and "I'm not there, by the way. I'm just hearing the story after the fact." My dad turns to my brother and says, uh, "You see there, uh, Rod? Um, these people uh, didn't study at school." <laughs> and Rod. My brother is like scared straight, <laughs> so he comes back to uh, to to the house. You know, I'm I'm just at the house. I didn't even know this whole thing is is uh, happening. And he bursts into my room and he says, he says, Brock, we gotta study. <laughs> we gotta do everything we can to study. And he says, Come on, you you study. And it it was. I mean, he was scaring him straight, so to speak. But it was uh, it was a very powerful moment in my brother's life. And, and to some extent, my dad was right. Maybe he used an over-extreme uh, process to do so, but he, he wasn't totally wrong. Um, it, these were men that, you know, if, if they weren't schizophrenic in the first place, these were men that kind of tried to take shortcuts in their lives and, and made very bad choices and end up where they were at the end of the day. And, uh, and, you know, it's funny. The lefties always talk about bad choices, right? There's no such thing as evil. It's all bad choices. 
but but when it comes to the homeless and such like that, well, that's not a, they're not making bad choices. They were just you know the government's not making the right choices. The, the right. government didn't do for them what needed to be done. It's really it's 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 a patchwork of of crazy insanity and hypocrisy within the whole left uh, a rubric, right? It's it's incredible the things that you have to kind of rationalize. Yeah, and cognitive it, dissonance. Yeah, that like these well, it, puzzle pieces yeah, that don't even fit together. I was saying to to uh, my wife earlier that we were seeing um, some Agenda Twenty One modifications to our neighborhood, right? Yeah, and I said, look, honey, they did this modification to this street to make it safer, but then they added these bike lanes in such a way. They're only going to get people killed. Right. Their policies, the gears of their policies don't even mesh together when you engage and disengage the clutch. Yeah. How can, and, and minimum wage is a perfect callback to this. How can you say to me with a straight face, we need a $15 an hour minimum wage, and at the same time tell me that we need all these illegal aliens to come in and pick our crops, otherwise our crops are going to be $30 a strawberry. Well, are you telling me we're not going to be paying the illegal alien strawberry picker $15 an hour? It's such a good example. So so the illegal alien can come here to pick our crops at a slave wage as long as he votes Democrat, and then there's a no-fly zone over that particular demographic for the minimum wage. Yeah, exactly right. How does that work? And all I'm thinking of analogically is grinding gears of policies that just don't mesh. No. it's, you know? No, it's it's a cats and dogs sleeping with each other. Right. It's PCs trying to operate Mac software. It's it does not work. You it's know? Steve Jobs using uh, Microsoft. It's men and women trying to live together. Wait a minute. I guess they do have to. But but you get the idea. We just I just it's it's not and it's and, and that's like triple fold uh, maybe you know in six fold uh, in terms of the complications. You know it's it's like w- w- the way they try to describe the the. Uh, the, the sun going around the earth, right, to explain what they're seeing. But there's so many th- things that, that didn't jibe with that. So they would have to say, well, except on the second moon, and it, crazy um, articulations of what scientific fact must be. Yeah, I.e., just don't look at the guy behind the curtain. Right. Otherwise, that's the wizard. No, but, right. but they made it incredibly complicated things, and, yeah. and they were you know, internally inconsistent, whereas the simpler solution, the earth going around the sun, would explain things much better. So, uh, but the part of the reason why I brought up my, the story of my dad and my brother is to to show again. My dad was showing. Show, he helped yeah. him see the reality of of these things, and and again to to in that case to state a mission. But I, so many things are uh, their inability as long as they don't see it because they don't want to see it. It's it's all about the great beguiling. So. The, the, the great beguiling is is something that every lefty must engage in at some point in his life. I remember a couple of lefty friends. They said um, they said I, I they actually you know uh, I would say confided is too strong a word. They led on to me. Let's put it that way. That that a certain issue would crop crop up, and they thought a certain way about it. And then they said, well, I called up my friends. What's our position on this? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, can you imagine me calling you up? I, I, I don't think I've ever done this. Yeah. Hey, Ari. Uh, what's our group think here? <laughs> what's our group think, please? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, do you really have to do that? <laughs> I'm afraid if I, uh, if I follow my impulses, I uh, won't fit in with the hive. <laughs> yeah, well, something like that, right? But, but, but hang on. Bear with me. It's, you know, but we would never do that because we think it through. Uh, for example, when Brexit came, you and I had not even talked about Brexit. But you assumed correctly that I was for Brexit. I assumed correctly that you were for Brexit. And 
you know, you can make the argument, well, I, I'm on the other side of that Brexit issue. I want Britain to stay in the, U, the, the, uh, the EU. Um, but, but no, of course we knew it because it, it, it was consistent with conservative values to let people be free, to, let, to, to not have bigger government. Lesser government is always better. It was an obvious answer. Why would we before that? Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, why would we be against the Brexit, right? And, but the notion that you have to ask somebody else, well, why don't you just see it for yourself? Well, you know, why don't you have your own um, ideas about minimum wage? Why don't you have your own ideas about affirmative action? Which is another thing we need to talk yeah, about. Why don't you look at an issue, come to a conclusion, and then have the um, gonads to approach your, you know, peers and say, hey, guys, look what I found. Right. Is this interesting or what? <laughs> All you <laughs> but, have to do. But they have to be terrified yeah. of doing that. All you have to do to make the, 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 the brain machinery work in a lefty to possibly see them opening their eyes toward a conservative issue, a conservative viewpoint on an issue, is to say, are there any consequences to this policy, right? Whether it's minimum wage uh, or affirmative action or higher taxes or abortion or, anything, or you know, the, um, the opening of abortion to all levels, would you think that there are any consequences? Huh? What do you think, Bob? And poor Bob, he's always, he's getting he's he's being so attacked. Bob's had a hard <laughs> he's had a hard day. It's been a rough hour. <laughs> <laughs> but but so so what about this affirmative action, Bob? I mean, you know, what are the consequences? And if if they were to see the effects of affirmative action, they would say, we got to rethink this. We got to totally think of this differently. Maybe the best way to to avoid this is to just like McGovern said, these regulations are, are crazy. It's actually I never I never lived these regulations. I would say to somebody who is a proponent of affirmative action, black or white, to say, why don't you live under affirmative action and see how, how you feel when somebody assumes because you're black that you got in on lower standards. You live that life, sir. Okay? And, and, and I don't think it's going to feel very good because that's exactly what everyone's thinking. And, and you've, you explain uh, as a... To, to a black person, how it feels when the employer, when he's choosing between a black and a white person who are, you know, hopefully equally uh, qualified for the job, and, and he looks at the black person as a prospect and says, I'm not going to hire him because, you know, uh, if I do fire him one day, he's going to be able to argue that I fired him for racist reasons. The white guy can't. Okay? I say, and by the way, it would apply also to elderly uh, people. It also applied to a woman. It also applied to Hispanic and many other uh, protected groups, right? Protected classes. Somebody who's handicapped or otherwise. Th that you're just incentivizing the employer to, to not hire these people. Why, wh why would you want that? Why do you just let him decide who's the best, okay? And not, not give greater rights to people and make him terrified. That's the way it works. Same thing with minimum wage, same thing with everything else we said. These are, these are issues that you have to live. You have to see them play out. And as long as you don't see it, my friends, and uh, whether that's the VA, right, that we talked about that before the show, uh, as long as you don't see it, you'll, you'll never, not only will you never get to the solution, but you'll always develop, develop the wrong answers and actually lead to exactly the opposite of what you would hope for. It's always that way. And we'll conclude with Obamacare and the VA. This is, you and I kind of stumbled upon this once in our, in our podcast uh, from a few weeks ago, where we, they talk about Obamacare, this is glorious thing. It's already, you know, falling apart at the seams, right? And they say how great this would be. And, and say, don't we already have Obamacare in the VA, 
right? We, we all acknowledge both the lefties <laughs> and the VA sucks. Right. It's yeah. horrible. Why do you think it's going to be better than the VA? <laughs> right? right. I mean, the long waiting lines, the, the, the rats in, and the cockroaches all over yeah, the place. Yeah, the suicides, and, yeah. The, the agony. The what? doctors leaving at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, if they even work at all, even if, if they come at all. Right. Uh, the the, the biz, bizarre payment system that they have. Why would you think this is going to be better? And, and the VA is, is, you know, this is for our veterans, right? The glorified people. Yeah, the people who have really earned something. Right. And we and, treat them like crap. Yeah, and it's, a, and it's a segment of society. So you would think we can actually dedicate ourselves and our money to this one group of people. But no, they want to apply to everything. We can't even do it with this one group of people. And now you want to, you want to apply to everyone? Good luck. And, and really, that simple question, I just want to understand why you think it's going to be better. How, tell me how it's going to play out. I want you to see it, my friends. And that's the whole, that's the reason why we call this podcast As Long As You Don't See It. Because you are not seeing it. The whole task of this podcast is to say, you need to see it. You need to ask these questions, visualize it, and, and don't wait until you have to live it. Like that woman whose brother was murdered and then suddenly she was against the death penalty. That ain't right. You need to live it. You need to see it, not just from up on high on a piece of paper. You need to smell it. You need to hear it. You need to think it through. And that's the day you, you leave the left. That's the day you start becoming a conservative. I'm Barack Lurie. We'll talk with you next week. 